0: Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can know you and become like you. Lord, we are so grateful that we get to be students of the way that you lived and loved. And I pray today that I lift high your name, that I uh, draw people to you, that I just impress people with who you are and what you've done in my life. And Lord, I pray today that you'll be glorified through everything that I say and do and present this. spirit. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What do you think is the central belief of the Christian faith? If you're online, you're watching this, you can write in the comments, you can send me a message. If you're here, what do you think the central belief of the Christian faith is? Anybody? What's the most important belief in the Christian faith? Jesus. Jesus. I know the answer because I've been through your prep. Yep. But... What does everything in the Christian faith hinge on? The resurrection. The resurrection. That's right. The resurrection is the linchpin of the Christian faith. It's the keystone. Are you familiar with keystones? Like ancient stone masons uh, would make arcs. And some of those sometimes stand even after the building falls down or the wooden structure has rotted away. And they would chisel this stone to... The two sides of an arch. I think I have a picture up here and uh, the keystone would be right there And then if you didn't have that the two sides would just fall over But actually the gravity and the weight of the stones push against each other and the keystone holds everything in place If you remove the keystone everything would topple the walls would fall down the arch would collapse Everything in the Christian faith rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead N.T. Wright, he's considered one of the world's best New Testament scholars. He was lecturing at Oxford, and he was talking about all this deep theology, and he was sharing all these, like, if you look at this Greek word here, and you look at everything behind here, all this deep stuff. And then at the end of it, there was a QA and a time, and one of the people there asked him, they said, how much of this do you have to understand and know in order to be a Christian, a disciple, a student of Jesus' way of life? And N.T. Wright He took a moment and he said, you really don't have to understand anything of what I was just teaching about. He says, all you need to really understand is that there's a loving God, that God in human form is Jesus. You need to know something about believing and repenting, and you have to know something about the resurrection. There's no Christianity without the resurrection. It's essential to the Christian faith. Over the last few weeks we've been talking about why am i a christian why am i a a, why am i a student of the way that jesus lived and loved and one of those reasons is because of the resurrection the resurrection makes christianity unique among world religions i think i have a chart for you up on the screen islam one of the world's largest religions primary teacher was muhammad do you know how he wrote the quran Gabriel appeared to him, according to Islamic tradition, over 20 years and told him what to write down. Nobody saw Gabriel except Muhammad. Nobody knew what Gabriel said except Muhammad. And people just had to trust what Muhammad said. Um, Buddhism. Buddha went and sat under a tree and began to meditate and fast. And ultimately he had this vision about what really the good life was about, and it was about giving everything away and getting rid of every desire. And people just trust that Buddha had this spiritual experience because he was the only one there and it was a personal experience and he shared it. Um, The Mormons, their primary teacher was Joseph Smith. He said that an angel guided him to a place to dig up gold plates which had the Book of Mormon on him, and he translated them, but he couldn't show anybody the gold plates, and he couldn't let anybody verify where he had got them or what they said. People just had to trust what Joseph Smith said. Christianity's unique here, because our primary teacher is Jesus, and the event was that he was publicly executed by the Roman government. We have a historical record of that. We have first century historical witnesses that say, hey, yeah, this guy, he was some type of religious teacher. He was executed by the Roman government. But then the whole Christian faith is built upon this. Not one person hearing something or seeing something or saying, I'm sharing something, but you can't see it. Over 500 people saw him alive and told people about it. The reason Christianity has spread across the globe is because it wasn't one guy saying, hey, I've got a secret and I'm going to share it. It was something that was shown to many people. They were convinced of it because many people saw it. Sometimes people, as I talk to them, say silly things like, all religions say the same thing. That's just not true. Most religions are one man saying, trust me had a special experience. Christianity says, trust the hundreds of witnesses who saw this thing happen and then told their friends about it, who told their friends about it, who told their friends about it, who told you and me about it. We saw a dead person come back to life. And it's not that the first century people were idiots, that they were just like, oh, you know, sometimes Jewish teachers just come back to life after you kill them. No, this was, they recognized that this was an unthinkable thing just like it seems unthinkable to us today this was something that shook them it shook them enough to take this news to the entire world doing a interview timothy keller a prominent christian pastor writer thinker in new york city was asked what would make him doubt his faith and the interviewer was a secular interviewer was asking him like what if we could prove evolution was true would that make you doubt your faith And Timothy Keller's like, no, that wouldn't make me doubt my faith because ultimately, uh, you know, evolution speaks to the development of species, but it doesn't talk about where matter actually came from. My faith wouldn't be shaken by that. And the interviewer was like, what if there's aliens? There's other people on other planets. And Timothy Keller's like, no, my faith would not be shaken by that. And so the interviewer continued to press and said, what would make you doubt your faith or turn away from Christianity? And Timothy Keller said, The only thing that would destroy my faith is if we could prove that Jesus did not rise from the dead, that would make me doubt my faith. If Jesus is dead, then Christianity is dead too. If you're exploring the Christian faith, or maybe you're antagonistic to the Christian faith, you're watching online and you're like, Man, I don't want anything to do with Christianity, that thing's fake. I wish I could prove it wrong and get rid of it forever. The thing you have to destroy or dismantle or prove to be false is the resurrection. Because all of Christianity rests on that and relies on that and is built upon that. If Jesus is dead, Christianity is dead too. Historians confirm that Jesus was crucified by the Roman government. His followers say three days later he came back and he showed himself to many, many Now, sometimes people uh, ask me, why can't Jesus just be a good moralist? I was talking to someone a few weeks ago. They had questions about the Christian faith. So we set up a video call, and they were just asking lots of good questions. They are just exploring Christianity. They just wanted to find out about it. And one of the things they said was, why can't Jesus just be a good moralist? He teaches me a good way to live life. Like, can't he just be a good teacher? Do we have to say that he was divine? if jesus really came back from the dead it means we have to take what he said seriously not some of what he said but all of what he said if he didn't come back from the dead we shouldn't take anything he said seriously because he kept telling us hey i'm gonna die and come back and so how could we take anything he says seriously if he was a madman who thought he was going to die and come back to life and didn't but if he did comfort death we can't pick and choose from his teachings There's sometimes I listen to people, and I'm like, hmm, that's really good. I'm going to take that and apply that to my life. Then they say something else, and I'm like, hmm, nope, not going to apply that. I mean, Oprah, sometimes she has really great stuff she says, and I'm like, yeah, that's an inspiring quote. I'm going to put that on social media. Then sometimes she says something else, and I'm like, eh, I'm not feeling that. I'm not sure that's quite right. I'm not going to retweet that or repost that. Jesus is not like Oprah. If he actually died and came back to life, everything he says matters. Everything he says is important and I don't get to pick and choose. If he's just a good moralist, I can say, "Man, eh, that'll apply to me, that won't. But if he's a dead man who came back to life, all of a sudden I have to pay attention to everything he said. So let's look at our passage this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read a little bit more than we normally do, but the apostle Paul, uh, he just does such a good job of outlining the resurrection I thought it would be good to read uh, this extended chunk of Scripture. Now, the Corinthian church was a messed up church. They had all kinds of sexual problems. They had all kinds of drunkenness. They were all over the place. Their theology changed all the time. And Paul wrote a ton of letters to them. We have two of them in the New Testament, First and Second Corinthians. But he also talks about other letters he wrote to them because they had so many Problems. He was constantly having to correct them and try to bring them back into the fold. So here's what it says, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. What does he say is of first importance, the most critical belief in the Christian faith? That Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. Essentially what he's saying is, there's 500 people who saw him. If you don't trust Peter, you don't trust the 12, go talk to these 500 people who saw him. Most of them are still alive. You can ask them. This is not fake. This is real. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Let's skip down to verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So what's happening here, So people have come in after Paul and said, you know what, there's no resurrection. This was actually a debate in Jesus' time. The Sadducees, a religious sect, they said, there's no resurrection, you just die. That's all there is and the pharisees disagreed with that and the pharisees and sadducees were always fighting until jesus came along and then both groups said we both hate jesus let's put aside our differences on the resurrection and attack jesus verse 13 uh, or 14 if christ has not been raised our preaching is useless and so is your faith if there's no resurrection christianity is pointless being here in church is pointless watching this is pointless Picking up and reading this book is pointless. Doing anything in Christianity is pointless if there's no resurrection. More than that, we have found to be false witnesses about God if there's not a resurrection. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. You see his argument here. He keeps saying... You say that, um, that people have taught you that there's no resurrection, but if there's no resurrection, then Christ is not raised. If Christ is not raised, Christianity is stupid. That's essentially what he said. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we have of all people most to be pitied. Essentially he says if there's no resurrection, if this life is all you've got, then we are wasting our lives. You could be sleeping in this Sunday. You could be enjoying a, uh, a nice brunch if there's no resurrection. But if there is a resurrection, verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He's the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam, all died. So in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come, and he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominions and authorities and powers, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Man, I feel like we could just stop right there and we're like, is the Paul handled it? I mean, he covered it all. What a powerful passage. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, our religion is stupid and pointless and worthless. Christianity without the resurrection is a torturous burden. Like every religion without a resurrection is a religion without hope. Without a resurrection, religion is dead. The christian faith is not about making bad people good it is about making dead people alive and if you're following a religion that does not have the hope of making dead things alive it's a pointless worthless exercise so we have to ask an obvious question did the 500 followers of jesus christ fake his resurrection this is what i hear sometimes like Obviously they must have faked it like have you ever seen the movie the prestige where he does these um, magic tricks he's a uh, Illusionist up on stage and he has a twin brother nobody knows about so it looks like he teleports across the stage But really it's a twin brother and he's just been fooling everybody Was this an elaborate trick like Jesus and his followers got together and they're like keep my twin brother secret I'm gonna get brutally executed and then my twins gonna come out. We're gonna fool the world and start a religion There's no advantage to that. Why would they do that? Let's look at the facts. First of all, over 500 people told the same story. There's just a handful of us in this room, but if we all got together to tell an event of what happened, our stories would not align because it's human nature. Like, we all remember little details that are different. But 500 people told the same story. If you're making up a story, that's impossible with that many people. Many were killed for their story without changing it. In fact, all of the apostles except John, um, the beloved, were killed for this story, that Jesus Christ had died and come back to life being Lord and Savior of the world. Now, if I was making something up, like I'm going to fake this whole thing about this guy coming back to life, and then somebody started killing me, I'd be like, hey, you know what? It was fake. It was a joke. This was a practical joke. We didn't mean anything by it. Don't kill me. It's not worth dying for. The only reason they were willing to die was because death held, held no power over them anymore because they had seen someone, the one that they followed and loved already defeat death. The church did not rise to prominence or power or wealth until hundreds of years later. Sometimes people say, well, obviously they fake this because they wanted the power and the wealth and the influence of the church. Well, they couldn't even imagine that in their minds in their days. What they got was they were thrown out of the synagogues. They were cast out of their communities. They were thrown out of their religious festivals and families and services. They were beaten, imprisoned, and killed. That's what they got for talking about a man coming back from the dead. It's not like they got power or influence or wealth. Even if they said, we're going to fake this thing so that we get power, influence, and wealth and a following, as soon as they started getting beaten and thrown in prison and threatened and thrown out of their families you think somebody would have said you know what this whole thing's fake but no one did because once you see a dead man come back to life it's something you can't forget about if you're going to fake a religion if we're going to create a religion and fool a bunch of people with it don't make the keystone to the entire thing something as outlandish as a resurrection unless it's true that's the only reason you would make the resurrection the keystone to your entire religion is if it was true because it's too crazy you're gonna if you're gonna fake a religion you want to make it something like an angel came and talked to me just me let me tell you what he said an angel showed me something just me i'll show i'll show you you got to trust me give me all your money because that's what the angel told me to tell you you know you don't make it a public event where you say hundreds of people saw it unless it's true J.K. Rowling, uh, who wrote the Harry Potter books, she killed off Dumbledore, this uh, mentor-like figure to Harry Potter, the main character in the story, in the sixth book. I love Dumbledore. I was like, did you killed Dumbledore? And I was like, maybe we'll come back in the seventh book. And I remember reading this interview with her and she's like, Dumbledore is never coming back. When I kill a character, they're dead. And she actually criticized J.R.R. Tolkien because when he killed Gandalf, in the lord of the rings he actually brought gandalf back and gandalf came back as this resurrected figure of hope and she said when you resurrect a character in your story resurrection takes away all the weight of death and i thought what a powerful line because that's very true once a character is resurrected death has no power anymore The weight of death has been lifted, and that's exactly what Jesus Christ did by coming back from the dead. He's taken the weight of death away. That's exactly what the promise of Christianity is. Because of Jesus, death has no weight. It's a comma in our story, not a period. The hope of being a disciple of Jesus' way of life is that death does not end your story. It's an interruption, not an end. Romans 6 verses 8 through 11 now if we died with christ we believe that we will also live with him for we know that since christ was raised from the dead he cannot die again death no longer has mastery over him the death he died he died to sin once for all but the life he lives he lives to god revelation 1:18. jesus says i am the living one i was dead now look at me I am alive forever and ever and ever. I hold the very keys to death. When Darby and I bought our home in Ardmore, we were so excited. First time homebuyers, you know, it's a little weird because of COVID, but we signed all our papers right there in front of the house. And then they gave us this key ring with all these keys on it. I'm like, there's only one door in this house. Why are there so many keys? But we got our key ring and we were like, look, we own this house. I mean, the bank owns it. We're paying them back slowly, but you get the picture. We, because we own the house, we got a key ring, right? Jesus has the keys to death because he owns death now. Keys symbolized our ownership to the house, keys symbolized Jesus' ownership over death. My God has death on a leash. He defended death, he tamed it. Now he owns the keys. Death belongs to him. Death doesn't get the last word. He does. And his last word is always live and live with me forever and ever and ever. The promise of the resurrection is that you and I will walk and breathe and eat and sing and dance and live on this world again. Rich Volotis, a pastor in New York City, he had this great quote. He said the Bible doesn't end with souls ascending to a disembodied heaven. If you flip to Revelation, the end of the story, it doesn't end with disembodied souls ascending to heaven. It ends with a fully embodied heaven descending to earth. The resurrection is the good news that God in Christ is committed to the renewal, reconciliation, and resurrection of all things. And so should the church be. Why did ancient Christians help other people during plagues and stand up to emperors, even at the cost of death? Because they did not fear death. When you see a man come back to life and promise to do the same for you, it gives you a reckless boldness to do good because nothing can stop you. Um, In Tennessee, where I grew up, every big farm truck rocks a no-fear bumper sticker on the back of it. And you'd just be going down a country road and a big truck would come by and the tires were like so big, you have to get a step ladder to climb into the vehicle, you know, and on the back is the bumper sticker, no fear. I don't know if they do that in rural New York or if they do that in Delco, um, but in Tennessee, they're everywhere, no fear stickers. When my dad was teaching me to drive, he says, you see a truck with a no fear sticker, he goes, you stay in the other lane, you stay away from them, because they're unpredictable. They could do anything. Because people with no fear, anything could happen, <laughs> they're they're dangerous. That's exactly what happens when we truly believe in the resurrection. The resurrection makes us spiritually dangerous in an enemy-controlled world. The resurrection makes us bold and brave even in the face of death. Psalm 56 says, I trust in God, so I am not afraid. What could a human do to me? You deliver me even from death. I will walk before God in the light of When we put our loved ones in the ground, we know that there is a day when they will walk and play on this world again. Death is not the end. You ask me, why are you a Christian, Alex? I'm a Christian because the way of Jesus is a way through death. Death is the final enemy, but he is a beaten enemy in the Christian faith. A funeral is not a goodbye. It is a moment to remind ourselves that they will be back soon with Jesus at their side to take the throne of this world and set everything right. To kill death for good. No religion in the world gives hope like this that death is a defeated enemy. So, what do we do with this? Believe. If there's never been a moment in your life where you stop to say, you know what? I'm ready to embrace the ways of Jesus, to become a student of the way that he lived and loved, to believe that he is the Son of God, the resurrected Savior of the world, that his life is a way through death. Investigate. Ask questions. If it's true, it can stand up to your questions. Then take the leap. The ways of Jesus are life, a life that even the darkest night of death cannot snuff. Next, I think that what we need to do is take hope. Death is not the end of your loved one's story. It's not the end of your child's story. It's not the end of your parent's story. It's not the end of your grandparent's story. You will see them again. One day, they will dance on their graves because Jesus raises the dead to life. And finally, don't be afraid. So often in my life, I'm afraid. I'm beset by fears of what could be, what might happen in the midst of COVID. My mind has run in a thousand different directions. Like, what if this happens to someone I love? What if this happens to the church? What if this happens to my community, my city, the nation, the world? What is going to happen to my marriage? What is going to happen to our home? What is going to happen to our jobs? I fear because I forget. The greatest enemy is already defeated. Death has been defanged if death, the greatest, most dangerous enemy, is beaten, why do I fear these lesser enemies? If death isn't something to be afraid of anymore, I can boldly and bravely do good in my world. As we end, I want you to just close your eyes for a minute and listen to these verses where Jesus is speaking in John 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life the one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never fully die you believe this jesus thank you for your word thank you for this reminder that you have beaten death we get to live an eternal life by walking in your footsteps and spending eternity with you I'm so grateful that you came and died for them.